Julia Gerlach, Managing Editor of No-Till Farmer. Welcome to the latest episode of the No-Till Farmer Influencers of Innovators podcast series. This program featuring stories about the past, present, and future of no-till farming is sponsored by Montag Manufacturing. I encourage you to subscribe to this series, which is available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Subscribing will allow you to receive an alert about upcoming episodes as soon as they're released. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Montag Manufacturing, for supporting our No-Till Farmer Influencers and Innovators podcast series. Montag Manufacturing is your fertilizing equipment specialist, offering dry, liquid, and complete fertilizer systems as well as auto-steer carts. Montag's precision fertilizer placement solutions will reduce your rate, increase your yield, and assist your stewardship goals. Visit them at montagmfg.com. That's M-O-N-T-A-G-M-F-G.com. No-tilling itself was still an innovation when Bill Richards got in on the ground floor of the movement more than 50 years ago, and today he stands as one of the major influencers who helped prove no-till is a viable, profitable farm practice. Richards stayed in it for the long haul, modifying his own no-till equipment. In fact, many of his designs were similar to those represented by some of today's major manufacturers. Richards was instrumental in establishing the residue management campaign in his county, and he was dubbed the grandfather of no-till during his term as chief of the Soil Conservation Service, which is now known as the Natural Resources Conservation Service. Richards has since retired and turned control of the family's 3,200-acre farm over to his sons, but he continues to promote the benefits of no-till practices. For this podcast, Frank Lesseter is taking a break, so No-Till Farmer Senior Editor John Doberstein sat down with Richards to talk about the history of no-till adoption on his farm, the early innovators that helped him along, such as Kinsey founder John Kinsenbaugh and international product engineer Ralph Baumheckel, and some of the equipment modifications he made that helped him successfully adopt no-till. I come out of Ohio State and... Graduated in 53. My dad was a John Deere dealer. I was Chalmers dealer. And uh, I had was headed for that business. And then we had an opportunity to buy a farm. Started out with uh, 325 acres, about 125 was tillable. Uh, I was a, grew up on a, milking some cows in the 4-H farm and had no farm experience. And uh, had a good education from Ohio State and, uh, and was told that, uh, you know, the only reason for tillage is weed control. And that was about the time atrazine was, we were starting to play with it. Farmers around the country was playing. Magazines were full of that. So uh, we started playing around with, uh, with uh, 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 reduced tillage. First attempt was... Um, uh, we were st- we were plowing, and uh, I tried to put a a two row planter behind a five bottom plow, and you know that obviously didn't work. The next year we put about four rows behind a disc harrow. Still, we weren't getting it done. Still plowing. And Ohio State's uh, people, we got to sort of uh, attention to each other and. And um, we developed, along with them, this idea of, of putting a cultivator on the front of a tractor and pulling a planter behind the tractor. I had six row 40s, and uh, 
I took it a little further. I mounted the ammonia knife next to the to the row, and uh, that that sort of worked. But we were we were still plowing. So then I tried a a, a lister planter, and we learned that by golly, we could grow a crop without breaking or turning the soil. And I probably attracted the attention of, of an international. Uh, engineer or product engineer boss later that he got to helping me and um, uh, we kept working on this idea of uh, uh, I think it was the old pointer planner that they they had and we were trying to make that we ended up uh, with six rows with a, a big sweep in front and then a uh, some teeth to brings it back, and then a packer wheel packs it down, and then a planter behind that. And uh, we really uh, made that till plant system work. At uh, at uh, and I suppose it was started out at four rows, and then it went to six, and then it went to eight, and that was working pretty well. And then here comes Alice Chalmers with that colder. And suddenly we could go from from eight to twelve forties, and uh, that was just you know brought a whole new world. Uh, I started to get attracting attention. I think Purdue had me over there once, and they were trying to figure out how many minutes it took to grow a bushel of corn. And I sat down. And I figured that out, and I mean we. We went maybe 20% of what they thought was working. The Alice Chalmers colder just opened up the world. Now, we never had an Alice Chalmers planter, but we adapted that colder to that toolbar planter. And then I met Kinsenball. <laughs> and suddenly I could find out that, gee, this didn't need, I didn't, I wasn't limited by 20 foot or, or 30 foot. We could do all this in a 60-foot swath. And uh, we put the no-till colders on a, the first, I think it was the second one he built. He built his own first. Um, and we put those no-till colders, uh, followed by, at that time, John Deere had that uh, new, that whatever the number was on that planter, the ones that uh, they sold us at first. And we put that first planter to go with John Deere uh, units. Uh, later, of course, they quit selling those units. And uh, But with 60 foot wide, and uh, we were, I don't know that we were getting any yield increase, but we were saving so much management and time. We had no idea what we really had a hold of. We were just trying to save management and labor and fuel. And, you know, finally Soil Conservation Service even started looking at, at what the opportunities, what we were doing. And uh, we went from 24 rows 20, to 20-inch uh, rows. We put together 33 rows on a 60-foot pattern. Then we put together two of those planters. And all at once, we were farming way more acres and we were planting way more acres than we had management to handle. So that's sort of the involvement uh, all the way. Um, 
machinery companies were really bucking us. Bob Hinkle is my hero. He finally just said, Bill, come to the factory. And he told him to to let me walk up and down those bins and give me whatever I wanted. And that's that's what that's what really got the no-till or the the till planter. That's really what opened that up for us. At some point, you ran into an issue with markers on the planter, and you worked something out with Henry Orthman. Uh, tell me about that. Uh, Kinsey didn't have markers for that big bar. And I had met Henry Orthman through, through Frank when he had us all. He had Orthman. He had me as a farmer. And he had the Fleischer-Schmidt guy, I forget his name. But, you know, both of them were pioneers in, in really changing things. And I met uh, Henry Orthman, and uh, we figured out uh, by through him that I could put that folding toolbar on the end of the toolbar I already had and then put my regular marker on the end of that. Well, a funny story along the line is um, we were welding all that stuff together out here in the lot. And here come these two John Deere engineers. And they kept sitting there watching us. And finally, I said, you know, why don't you guys help? And uh, the next year then, that was the idea that John Deere had. But... The next year, Kinzenball really did make us a marker. So the rest is, you know, the story goes on. Early on, Bill, when you used Case IH planters, you indicated the Case IH setup worked really well. What were the reasons for that, and what other planter innovations did you see along the way? And tell us a little bit about the planters you're using now on the farm. Well, we used those little uh, beaten bean unit planters so we didn't need a drive mechanism and everything each planter so on the on the till planters that we had we had individual small planters now you know those were made for vegetables and they're not near enough enough rugged enough to do what we were doing uh the breakthrough of course was the unit planter from deer i mean it was great but uh, but you know, I was with those till planters from International through Baumhinkle. He, uh, I wanted to be able to have planters that I could manipulate at any width and, and any conditions. We ended up with two of those Kinsey bars with uh, 33 row John Deere or Kinsey units. Used those probably for 25 years. They planted thousands and thousands of acres. And uh, uh, it was time for us trade planters. And uh, uh, the guys bought International, mainly because the International dealer's about five miles away. And uh, right now they have a 36-row, 20-inch rows, um, Case IH, Early Riser, whatever they call that. But that that is slick. I mean, no, there isn't any no-dook holders on it. I mean, that thing will slip through uh, the field. You don't really, you can't hardly tell it's been there. In fact, we had a lot of fun with uh, Randall Reeder was down here looking at the, the, the fields after planting, and 
And he said, you haven't, been, you haven't planted this field, Bill. Well, and I really couldn't find any evidence. So we had to come up to get Bruce, our son, to assure us that, yes, that field's planted. Just be, be patient, you guys. <laughs> so, you know, we have the technology now that's just a dream. A dream. I cannot understand. We were talking earlier. I cannot understand 35% no-till use. And I'm afraid if you, if you pare that down to continuous no-till, you're probably uh, somewhat less than that. What do you think are some of the obstacles to getting more no-till adoption in the U.S.? I just don't know. That's been the, 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 the mystery to me. I mean, all the advantages are there. We now know so much about soil tel- uh, soil improvement, soil quality improvement. I mean, th- this farm has been measured with, with deep holes, with, with all kind of, of technology to know what our uh, filtration rates are. Everything is positive. And uh, I, I, uh, I've traveled a lot. I've been in South America and I've been in Australia several times. And uh, we're lagging behind our competitors all over the world. Uh, I'd sometimes say in speeches that, you know, we've sort of unloosed a monster because we can bring, the world can bring a lot of acres into production with no-till. And it's just, it's phenomenal. What keeps us back? Well, culture. Uh, I've gotten in trouble a few times of saying uh, farm, uh, the farm payments keep us back a little bit. They were slow to adopt and really give us any kind of credit until the 85 Farm Bill put some requirements and that went over so poorly that that, that turned out to be a negative over time because you can't tell farmers what to do. They, you have to sell them on the idea. I had an interesting uh, conversation once in Australia, and we were talking about this. And, you know, you guys are way ahead of us. And the Aussie farmer says, well, says we know till because we have to. We have to make money. You Yankees get your money from the government. <laughs> Getting back to soils here, tell me about the benefits you saw during the time you had tram lines and controlled traffic farming laid out on your farm and with the more recent adoption of RTK technology as well? Well, uh, you can still see those tram lines. I think we've been on RTK for three years. Uh, You can still see a a difference. Um, Got into soil compaction really through uh, making friends with the people at Auburn to Tillage Lab, and and I studied... uh, the opportunities, Baumhinkle was really in on that and encouraged us. Uh, so we come up with this idea that uh, when that wide planter, uh, if we skip those two rows behind the wheels, why well, we really have controlled traffic. Uh, that's why I, I, I was wrong before. We were had 31 units on in a 33-row pattern, skipping the two behind. And it was 33 row because we didn't have wide enough headers to go 12 rows, 20s. So we've made our 11 rows and we, 
we skipped uh, we, that was three three harvester passes. The other thing is the companies were just on us all the time of putting those wheels out wide enough to put four rows underneath the tractor, which is what we have now. But then we only had three rows under the under the tractor, and uh, hence we ended up with a with an odd uh, pattern, probably the only one in the country ever. And uh, but it worked. Now those tram lines that got so noticeable. I mean, they stayed firm. Uh, you could take a probe out there, and you could see the improvement on the inner row, and the, a really improvement. And uh, then we get, we need a new planter. And uh, uh, we went to the, to the, the Case IH and RTK, and that changed our pattern just a little. So we, we lost some, some, uh, the, some of those old tram lines. Uh, we still think it wobbles an awful lot. Then that, that planter is so big and so heavy. I don't think that's our. F I don't think that's our future. But we're still on tram lines. Yeah. Uh, tram lines for for uh, for the anhydrous, uh, which is an old Kinsey um, bar that we've adapted, and uh, of course the sprayer stays on those tram lines, and. Uh, the planter, and then the harvest. We've taken the grain cart out of the fields. We managed to, some way, uh, dump combines without, without a grain cart. Uh, we think we've really improved uh, on compaction. Now that's the bright side of it. We, we've made a. We have a large Dutch uh, dairy operation behind us, and we're selling silage, and that's just breaking my heart. I mean, that's, we've got to, well, you can't hardly solve that one. So I've heard you're seeding cover crops on fields that have gone to corn silage and adding manure applications to improve fertility and cover crop growth. Tell me what you're trying to accomplish on your farm. Well, you can see it out here today. Uh, it's radishes and oats and Austrian peas. Um, we, we start out with Austrian peas, but as we get uh, back up a little to the Dutch dairy, um, we have center pivots and uh, we get the liquid manure off of the pits. And we mix that about 40% manure, 60% water at the pivot. And uh, so we're getting plenty of fertility. Uh, the Austrian peas are not needed, but that does give us some ground cover that lives over most of the time into spring. Uh, we've tried rye, uh, hard to kill, have a lot of bug problems or slug problems with the rye. So this is the second year for oats, and they just were frosted a couple nights ago. They, they're better than knee high. We really like the radishes. But those radishes are hard to, to get planted. Uh, so we're, and we're using, there's three different sizes of seed there. Uh, if I'm uh, dreaming again uh, for the equipment companies, uh, we haven't begun to come up 
with the technology we need to spread cover crops and light enough till them. Um, we we were putting the peas on it first with the old planter, and that did a pretty good job. But you know, that's high maintenance. We need some way to spread that ahead of some kind of a, a light till operation and get that cover crop. We'll rejoin John Dauberstein and Bill Richards in a moment, but I want to take time once again to thank our sponsor, Montag Manufacturing, for supporting our No-Till Farmer Influencers and Innovators podcast series. Montag Manufacturing is your fertilizing equipment specialist, offering dry, liquid, and complete fertilizer systems as well as auto steer carts. Montag's precision fertilizer placement solutions will reduce your rate, increase your yield, and assist your stewardship goals. Visit them at montagmfg.com. That's M-O-N-T-A-G-M-F-G dot com. And now we'll get back to the conversation with John Dauberstein and Bill Richards as Richards talks about his time leading the NRCS, what was achieved during his tenure, and what must still be done to move no-till forward. So you spent some time in Washington as you were called up to serve as the head of the Soil Conservation Service, as it was called at the time. What challenges were you trying to solve with conservation agriculture, and what progress do you feel was made? Well, they were uh, attempting to uh, to put in place the 85 Farm Bill. And the 85 Farm Bill had been the first time ever that there had been any requirements tied to uh, program benefits. And uh, it uh, was only a condition of receiving those benefits. You weren't. You weren't like EPA. You weren't fined for, for, uh, for not uh, doing a correct job. But you could lose your benefits, and um, farmers across the country were really up in arms. And uh, the Soil Conservation Service, before me, the chief, had tried to force farmers to do it, and you know, so uh, Jim Mosley was appointed the assistant secretary, and his boss was Clayton Yider. And both of the both of those, well, first Jim was a friend, and uh, uh, they wanted a farmer. They didn't know how they were going to get me past the White House because I didn't have any political experience. I hadn't donated a dime to the, <laughs> to the president, and uh, uh, but some way Clayton Leiter, when Clayton Leiter spoke, he got her done. And uh, I went in uh, as uh, as the chief of an agency of thirteen thousand people. Uh, never, that my first job ever off out of the family, and, uh, and it was it was an experience of a lifetime. Now I immediately started to preaching that it's those those customers out there. You have to sell those customers on what you want them to do. You can't force them to do it. So we, you know, we had to, we developed a residue management campaign. I went around and uh, to several states where there was real hostility, and I could just talk to them like an old farmer. And first thing you know, we were laughing with each other, and uh, that that yeah, it worked. Opportunity of a lifetime. 
we got that residue management campaign going because we knew that w- that was something we could measure. There was residue that was left on the field. And um, had things rolling. Uh, no-till uh, took a giant leap upward. Uh, the agency measured a significant drop in erosion and um, success. And then Mr. Bush lost the election. The next chief in had a different agenda, anti-use of, of herbicides. No-till needs herbicides, of course. And uh, that they, they just got a different signal from there on. So now there's, I, I think there's a mixed signal coming out of the agencies on, on conservation, on no-till, on how to solve problems. Bill, what do you think needs to happen in Washington in terms of conservation and crop insurance to make it work better for farmers? Since program benefits are, are going down and crop insurance is going up so far as a way to uh, help farmers, uh, uh, we thought that, that uh, the same requirements should be tied to top crop insurance. Now, that passed in the last farm bill, but first they watered it down to where it's, I don't know how much it's being uh, uh, enforced, but um, our president come in with with, uh, cut out regulations, uh, offer incentives, give reason, people a reason to change. So I think we're setting on a great opportunity at, at soil conservation at USDA to come up with voluntary incentives, voluntary programs with incentives to really encourage the use of conservation. And most important, improve no-till. We got to solve erosion. That's, that's still our, our biggest conservation problem. We gotta, we gotta get, we gotta really get our arms around how to really cut back on erosion. Well, some states, it's it's serious. Uh, some of our best soils, it's serious. So uh, we've we've got to come up with incentives. That's what uh, the president says. The direction he wants to go. Are we given the opportunity? Uh, we have the opportunity to do that. Are we doing anything about it? Looking back, Bill, what's your impression of how the National No-Tillage Conference and No-Till Farmer have helped advance no-till practices? In Frank's magazine, I think it's done wonders, but those conferences have grown and grown. Uh, the last one I attended, I was there because they gave me an award for something. Call me, I'm old enough to call me a legend, so that's how I get invited to things like that. <laughs> but... Uh, I, he's been the leader, and this is in in really uh, no-till information exchange of ideas, and you know that goes way back to those of us. Uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't uh, uh, self alone. It was a there was all over many states, especially in the Corn Belt, there were farmers that were calling each other and were trading ideas, and Frank picked up on that and really started these conferences around come in, 
share your ideas. And, uh, you know, farming is one industry that has a tendency to, to really share with each other, even though that other farmers are competitor. Uh, we share more than, than happens in most business. What advice might you have for the younger generation of farmers out there who might have just started no-tilling or thinking about adopting the practice? What would you say to them? Well, the opportunity, you have all this wonderful equipment. Uh, but you also don't have to start out first class. You can still cobble stuff together out of the old stuff that somebody else has passed on. But no-till is so profitable. It's, you know, it's a revolution on the land. It's just a new way of thinking and managing soils. It's spreading all over the world, and it's it's soon going to be to the place if we get uh, that that if you're not no-tilling, you're not going to be competitive. We've had a wonderful, wonderful run in agriculture with these super, super prices, but if you look uh, at the next three to five years, I just come from an Outlook conference at Ohio State, and and the man from Illinois was there. And, uh, you know, he pretty well told farmers that that 310 to 325 uh, corn price uh, and $9 beans is going to be here. And we have better, we farmers better figure out how to, to get inside of those costs to make it work. And no-till is so obvious as the first step. People get on and get after me. Other, uh, they say, well, you know, you're all no-till. And I said, yeah, but no-till, tell me what other conservation practice will get the job done or will make a difference in soil quality and productivity, in profitability. What one practice will make as much difference as no-till does. Now, we have another revolution coming in cover crops. What do you think the potential is for cover crops? Well, it, it, as much as as <laughs> problem we've had of selling no-till, cover crops is going to be a harder sell. Because with no-till, you, you can see that drop in costs and real soon. The cost of putting cover crops in, uh, cover crops are expensive. And there's also, at the present time, not enough really good research to show what plants to use, how to get that job done. There's an awful lot of evidence growing of how much good we can do. And there's some many farmers really doing a fantastic job. But, you know, my son's here are hard to sell because it's it's about $50 an acre. Seed costs and, and planting costs. Uh, that's a significant cost uh, that I have some ideas. One ornery idea I have is uh, they should let us grow our own cover crop seed on set-aside acres wouldn't cost the government anything. If farmers had free seed or could produce their own seed, you'd get a lot more coverage.
Thanks for tuning in to the No-Till Farmer Influencers and Innovators Podcast. You can find more podcasts about no-till topics and strategies at notillfarmer.com forward slash podcasts. Thanks to John Doberstein and Bill Richards for today's conversation. And thanks to our sponsor, Montag Manufacturing, for helping to make this No-Till Farmer Influencers and Innovators podcast series possible. If you have any feedback on today's episode, please feel free to email me at jgerlock at lessetermedia.com or call me at 262-777-2404. And don't forget that Frank would love to answer your questions about no-till and people and innovations that have made an impact on today's practices. So please email your questions to us at listenermail at notillfarmer.com. Once again, if you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or the Google Play Store to get an alert as soon as future episodes are released. For Frank Lesseter and our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm Managing Editor Julia Gerlach. Thank you for listening.